8. Immolate the appetite, such as pepper, mustard, etc. known as condiments. Purity of food. The fact that many of the food substances are perishable makes it possible for them to be eaten in a slightly decayed condition. Such substances are decidedly unwholesome some containing poisons and should be promptly rejected. Not only do fresh meats, fruits, and vegetables need careful inspection, but canned and preserved goods as well. If canned foods are imperfectly sealed or if not thoroughly cooked in the canning process, they decay and the acids which they generate act on the metals lining the cans, forming poisonous compounds. The contents of tin cans should for this reason be transferred to other vessels as soon as opened. Foods are also rendered impure or weakened through adulteration. The watering of milk being a familiar example. The manufacture of jellies, preserves, syrups, and various kinds of pickles and condiments has perhaps afforded the largest field for adulterations. Although it is possible to adulterate nearly all of the leading articles of food, a long step in the prevention of food and drug adulteration was taken in this country by the passage of the Pure Food Law. By forcing manufacturers of foods and medicines to state on printed labels the composition of their products, this law has made it possible for the consumer to know what he is purchasing and putting into his body. Alcohol not a food. Many people in this and other countries drink indifferent beverages, such as whiskey, beer, wine, etc. A varying amount of alcohol. This substance has a temporary stimulating or exciting effect, and the claim has been made that it serves as a food. Recently it has been shown that alcohol when introduced into the body in small quantities and in a greatly diluted form, is nearly all oxidized, yielding energy as does fat or sugar. If no harmful effects attended the use of alcohol, it might on this account be classed as a food, but alcohol is known to be harmful to the body. When used in large quantities, it injures nearly all of the tissues, and when taken habitually, even in small doses, it leads to the formation of the alcohol habit which is now recognized and treated as a disease. This and other facts show that alcohol is not adapted to the body plan of taking on and using new material chapters I, and no substance lacking in this respect can properly be classed as a food. 56 Instead of classing alcohol as a food, it should be placed in that long list of substances which are introduced into the body for special purposes and which are known by the general name of drugs. Drugs act strongly upon the body and tend to bring about unusual and unnatural results. Their use should in no way be confused with that of foods. If taken in health, they tend to disturb the physiological balance of the body by unduly increasing or diminishing the action of the different organs. In disease where this balance is already disturbed, they may be administered for their counteractive effects, but always under the advice and direction of a physician. Knowing the nature of the disturbance which the drug produces, the physician can administer it to advantage. Should the body be out of physiological balance, or diseased, not only are drugs of no value in health, but their use is liable to do much harm. Nature of digestion before the nutrients can be oxidized at the cells, or built into the protoplasm. They undergo a number of changes. These are necessary for their entrance into the body, for their distribution by the blood and the lymph, and for the purposes which they finally serve. The first of these changes is preparatory to the entrance of the nutrients and is known as digestion. The organs which bring about this change, called digestive organs, have a special construction which adapts them to their work. It will assist materially in understanding these organs if we first learn something of the nature of the work which they have to perform. How the nutrients get into the body. The nature of digestion is determined by the conditions affecting the entrance of nutrients into the body. 
food in the stomach and air in the lungs, although surrounded by the body, are still outside of what is called the body proper. To gain entrance into the body proper, a substance must pass through the body wall. This consists of the skin on the outside and of the mucous linings of the air passages and other tubes and cavities which are connected with the external surface. To get from the digestive organs into the blood, the nutrients must pass through the mucous membrane lining these organs and also the walls of blood or lymph vessels. Only liquid materials can make this passage. It is necessary, therefore, to reduce to the liquid state all nutrients not already in that condition. This reduction to the liquid state constitutes the digestive process. How substances are liquefied. While the reduction of solids to the liquid state is accomplished in some instances by heating them until they melt, they are more frequently reduced to the state by subjecting them to the action of certain liquids, called solvents. Through the action of the solvent the minute particles of the solid separate from each other and disappear from view. Shaman dropping salt in water. At the same time they mix with the solvent, forming a solution from which they separate only with great difficulty. For this reason solids in solution can diffuse through porous partitions along with the solvents in which they are dissolved. Page 73. By digestion the nutrients are reduced to the form of a solution. The process island simply speaking. One of dissolving. The liquid employed as the digestive solvent is water. The different nutrients dissolve in water. Mixing with it to form a solution which is then passed into the body proper. Digestion not a simple process. Digestion is by no means a simple process, such, for instance, as the dissolving of salt or sugar in water, these, being soluble in water, dissolve at once on being mixed with a sufficient amount of this liquid, the majority of the nutrients, however, are insoluble in water and are unaffected by it when acting alone, fats, starch, and most of the proteids do not dissolve in water. Before these can be dissolved they have to be changed chemically and converted into substances that are soluble in water. This complicates the process and prevents the use of water alone as the digestive solvent. A similar case. If a piece of limestone be placed in water, it does not dissolve, because it is insoluble in water. If hydrochloric acid is now added to the water, the limestone is soon dissolved. Figure 62. See practical work. It seems at first thought that the acid dissolves the limestone. But this is not the case. The acid produces a chemical change in the limestone calcium carbonate and converts it into a compound calcium chloride that is soluble in water. As fast as this is formed it is dissolved by the water, which is the real solvent in the case. The acid simply plays the part of a chemical converter. Figure 62 Figure 62 The dissolving of limestone in water containing acid, suggesting the double action in the digestion of most foods, the digestive fluids, several fluids saliva, Gastric juice, pancreatic juice, bile, and intestinal juice are employed in the digestion of the food. The composition of these fluids is in keeping with the nature of the digestive process. While all of them have water for their most abundant constituent, there are dissolved in the water small amounts of active chemical agents. It is the work of these agents to convert the insoluble nutrients into substances that are soluble in water. The digestive fluids are thus able to act in a double manner on the nutrients to change them chemically and to dissolve them. The chemical agents which bring about the changes in the nutrients are called enzymes, or digestive ferments, foods classed with reference to digestive changes, with reference to the changes which they undergo during digestion. Foods may be divided into three classes as follows, 1. Substances already in the liquid state and requiring no digestive action. Water and solutions of simple foods in water belong to this class. 
milk and liquid fats, or oils, do not belong to this class. 2. Solid foods soluble in water. This class includes common salt and sugar. These require no digestive action other than dissolving in water. 3. Foods that are insoluble in water. These have first to be changed into soluble substances, after which they are dissolved. Summary. Materials called foods are introduced into the body for rebuilding the tissues, supplying energy, and aiding in its general work. Only a few classes of substances, viz. proteids, carbohydrates, fats, water, and some mineral compounds have all the qualities of foods and are suitable for introduction into the body. Substances known as drugs, which may be used as medicines in disease, should be avoided in health, before foods can be passed into the body proper. They must be converted into the liquid form, or dissolved, in this process, known as digestion. Water is the solvent, and certain chemical agents, called enzymes, convert the insoluble nutrients into substances that are soluble in water. Exercises. 1. How does oxidation at the cells make necessary the introduction of new materials into the body? 2. What different purposes are served by the foods? 3. What is a nutrient? Name the important classes. 4. What are food materials? From what sources are they obtained? 5. Name the different kinds of proteids, the different kinds of carbohydrates. Why are proteids called nitrogenous foods and fats and carbohydrates non-nitrogenous foods? 6. Show why life cannot be carried on without proteids, without water. 7. What percents of proteid, fat, and carbohydrate are found in wheat flour, oatmeal, rice, butter, potatoes, round beef, eggs, and peanuts. 8. State the objection to a meal consisting of beef, eggs, beans, bread, and butter, to a one consisting of potatoes, rice, bread, and butter, which is the more objectionable of these meals and why. 9. State the general plan of digestion. 10. Show that digestion is not a simple process like that of dissolving salt in water. Practical work elements supplied by the foods. The following brief study will enable the pupil to identify most of the elements present in the body and which have, therefore, to be supplied by the foods, carbon, examine pieces of charred wood, coke, or coal, and also the lead in lead pencils, show that the charred wood and the coal will burn, recall experiment page 114 showing that carbon in burning forms carbon dioxide, hydrogen. Fill a test tube one-third full of strong hydrochloric acid and drop into it several small scraps of zinc. The gas which is evolved is hydrogen. When the hydrogen is coming off rapidly, bring a lighted splinter to the mouth of the tube. The gas should burn. Hold a cold piece of glass over the flame and observe the deposit of moisture. Hydrogen in burning forms water. Extinguish the flame by covering the top of the tube with a piece of cardboard. Now let the escaping gas collect in a tumbler inverted over the tube. After holding the tumbler in this position for two or three minutes, remove and, keeping inverted, thrust a lighted splinter into it. The gas should either burn or explode. What does this experiment show relative to the weight of hydrogen as compared with that of air? Nitrogen. Nitrogen forms about four-fifths of the atmosphere, where, like oxygen, it exists in a free state. It may be separated from the oxygen of an enclosed portion of air by causing that gas to unite with phosphorus. Place a piece of phosphorus the size of a pea in a depression in a flat piece of cork. Handle phosphorus with wet fingers or with forceps. Place the cork on water and have ready a glass fruit jar holding not more than a quart. Ignite the phosphorus with a hot wire and invert the jar over it, pushing the mouth below the surface of the water. 
the phosphorus uniting with the oxygen fills the jar with white fumes of phosphoric oxide. These soon dissolve in the water, leaving a clear gas above. This is nitrogen. Place a cardboard under the mouth of the jar and turn it right side up, leaving in the water and keeping the top covered. Light a splinter and, slipping the cover to one side, thrust the flame into the jar of nitrogen. Noting the effect, flame is extinguished. Compare nitrogen with oxygen in its relation to combustion. What purpose is served by each in the atmosphere? Oxygen. Review experiments page 114 showing the properties of oxygen. Phosphorus. Examine a small piece of phosphorus. Noting that it has to be kept under water. Lay a small piece on the table and observe the tiny stream of white smoke rising from it. Formed by slow oxidation. Dissolve a piece as large as a pea in a teaspoonful of carbon disulfide in a test tube. Pour this on a piece of porous paper. And lay the paper on an iron support. When the carbon disulfide evaporates the phosphorus takes fire spontaneously. The heat from the slow oxidation is sufficient to ignite the phosphorus in the finely divided condition. What is the most striking property of phosphorus? What purpose does it serve in the match? Sulfur. Examine some sulfur. Noting its color and the absence of odor or taste. Impure sulfur may have an odor and a taste. Burn a little sulfur in an iron spoon. Noting that the compound which it forms with oxygen by burning has a decided odor. Other elements. Magnesium. Examine and burn a piece of magnesium ribbon. Noting the white compound of magnesium oxide which is formed. Iron. Examine pieces of the metal and also some of its compounds, as ferrous sulfate, ferric chloride, and ferric oxide or iron rust. Sodium. Drop a piece of the metal on water and observe results. Sodium decomposes water. It has to be kept under some liquid, such as kerosene, which contains no oxygen. It should not be touched except with the fingers wet with kerosene. Chlorine. Pour strong hydrochloric acid on a little manganese dioxide in a test tube and warm gently over a low flame. The escaping gas is chlorine. Avoid breathing much of it. Composition of the nutrients. The simplest way of determining what elements make up the different nutrients is by heating them and studying the products of decomposition. As follows, to show that carbohydrates contain carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, place one half teaspoonful of powdered starch in a test tube and heat strongly. Observe that water condenses on the sides of the tube and that a black, charred mass remains behind. The black mass consists mainly of carbon. The water is composed of hydrogen and oxygen. These three elements are thus shown to be present in the starch. The experiment may be repeated, using sugar instead of starch, to show that proteids contain carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and sulfur. Place in a test tube some finely divided proteid which has been thoroughly dried dried before the lean of hard cured bacon. Heat strongly in the heat of a chemical laboratory or some other place where the odors do not get into the room. First hold in the escaping gases a wet strip of red litmus paper. This will be turned blue, showing ammonia NH3 to be escaping. Next hold in the mouth of the tube a strip of a paper wet with a solution of lead nitrate. This is turned black or brown on account of hydrogen sulfide H2S which is being driven off. Observe also that water condenses in the upper part of the tube and that a black. Charred mass remains behind, since the products of decomposition H2O, NH3, H2S, and the charred mass contain hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur, and carbon. These elements are of course present in the proteid tested, to show the presence of mineral matter. Burn a piece of dry bread by holding it in a clear, hot flame, and observe the ash that is left behind. This is the mineral matter present in the bread. 
tests for nutrients, proteids, cover the substance to be tested with strong nitric acid and heat gradually to boiling. If proteid is present it turns yellow and partly dissolves in the acid, forming a yellow solution. Let cool and then add ammonia. The yellow solid and the solution are turned a deep orange color. Apply this test to foods containing proteid such as white of egg, cheese, lean meat, etc. Starch. A place a small lump of starch in one-fourth of a pint of water and heat gradually to boiling. Stirring well. Then add enough water to form a thin liquid and fill a test tube half full. Add to this a few drops of a solution of iodine. Prepare by dissolving a crystal of iodine in 25 cubic centimeters 120 pint of a solution of potassium iodide in water and add water to this until it is a light amber color. The starch solution is turned blue. Be cut with a razor a thin slice from a potato. Place this in a weak solution of iodine for a few minutes and then examine with the microscope. Using first a low and then a high power. Numerous starch grains enclosed in cellulose walls will be seen figure 60. Dextrose. Or grape sugar. Place a solution of the substance supposed to contain grape sugar in a test tube and add a few drops of a dilute solution of copper sulfate. Then add sodium hydroxide solution until the precipitate which first forms is redissolved and a clear blue liquid obtained. Heat the upper portion of the liquid slowly to near the boiling point. A little below the boiling point the blue color disappears and a yellow-red precipitate is formed. If the upper layer of the liquid is now boiled, the color deepens and this may be contrasted with the blue color below. Apply this test to the sugar in raisins and in honey. Fat. Fat is recognized by its effect on paper, making a greasy stain which does not disappear on heating and which renders the paper translucent. Try butter, lard, or olive oil. Also show the presence of fat in peanuts by crushing them in a mortar and rubbing the powder on thin paper. If the substance to be tested contains but little fat, this may be dissolved out with ether. If a drop of ether containing the fat is placed on paper, it evaporates, leaving the fat, which then forms the stain. To show the effect of alcohol upon proteid, place some of the white of a raw egg in a glass vessel and cover it with a small amount of alcohol. As the albumin proteid hardens, or coagulates, Observe that the quantity of clear liquid increases. This is due to the withdrawal of water from the albumin by the alcohol. Since the tissues are made up chiefly of proteids, a piece of muscle or of liver may be used in the experiment, instead of the egg, with similar results. To illustrate the digestive process, to a tumbler two-thirds full of water add a little salt. Stir and observe that the salt is dissolved. Taste the solution to see that the salt has not been changed chemically. Now add a little powdered limestone to the water and stir as before. Observe that the limestone does not dissolve. Then add some hydrochloric acid and observe the result. State the part played by the acid and by the water in dissolving the limestone. Apply to the digestion of the different classes of foods. Chapter X Organs and Processes of Digestion The organs of digestion are adapted to the work of dissolving the foods by both their structure and arrangement. Most of them consist either of tubes or cavities and these are so connected, one with the other, as to form a continuous passageway entirely through the body. This passageway is known as the alimentary canal. The alimentary canal has a length of about 30 feet and, while it begins at the mouth, all but about 18 inches of it is found in the abdominal cavity. On account of its length it lies for the most part in coils, the two largest ones being known as the small intestine and the large intestine. Connected with the alimentary canal are the glands that supply the liquids for acting on the food. The divisions of the canal and most of the glands that empty liquids into it are shown in figure 63 and named in the table below, table coats of the alimentary canal. 
the walls of the alimentary canal, except at the mouth, are distinct from the surrounding tissues and consist in most places of at least three layers, or coats, as follows, figure 63 figure 63 diagram of the digestive system, 1, mouth, 2, soft palate, 3, pharynx, 4, parotid gland, 5, sublingual gland, 6, submaxillary gland, 7, esophagus, 8, stomach, 9, pancreas, 10, vermiform appendix, 11, cocoon, 12, ascending colon, 13, transverse colon, 14, descending colon, 15, sigmoid flexure, 16, rectum, 17, ileocecal valve, 18, duct from liver and pancreas, 19, liver, diagram does not show comparative length of the small intestine, 1, an inner coat, or lining, known as the mucous membrane, this membrane is not confined to the alimentary canal, but lines, as we have seen, the different air passages, it covers, in fact, all those internal surfaces of the body that connect with the external surface, it derives its name from the substance which it secretes, called mucus, in structure it resembles the skin, being continuous with the skin where cavities open to the surface, it is made up of two layers of thick inner layer which contains blood vessels, nerves, and glands, and a thin surface layer, called the epithelium, the epithelium, like the cuticle, is without blood vessels, nerves, or glands, too, a middle coat, which is muscular and which forms a continuous layer throughout the canal, except at the mouth, here its place is taken by the strong muscles of mastication which are separate and distinct from each other, as a rule the muscles of this coat are involuntary, they surround the canal as thin sheets and at most places form two distinct layers, in the inner layer the fibers encircle the canal, but in the outer layer they run longitudinally, or lengthwise, along the canal, 57-3, an outer or serous coat, which is limited to those portions of the canal that occupy the abdominal cavity, this coat is not found above the diaphragm, it is a part of the lining membrane of the cavity of the abdomen, called figure 64 figure 64 diagram of the peritoneum, 1, transverse colon, 2, duodenum, 3, small intestine, 4, pancreas, the peritoneum, the peritoneum is to the abdominal cavity what the pleura is to the thoracic cavity, it forms the outer covering for the alimentary canal and other abdominal organs and supplies the inner lining of the cavity itself, it is also the means of holding these organs in place some of them being suspended by it from the abdominal walls figure 64, by the secretion of a small amount of liquid, it prevents friction of the parts upon one another, digestive glands, the glands which provide the different fluids for acting on the foods derive their constituents from the blood, they are situated either in the mucous membrane or at convenient places outside of the canal and pass their liquids into it by means of small tubes, called ducts, in the canal the food and the digestive fluids come in direct contact a condition which the dissolving processes require. Each kind of fluid is secreted by a special kind of gland and is emptied into the canal at the place where it is needed. The digestive processes. Digestion is accomplished by acting upon the food in different ways, as it is passed along the canal, with the final result of reducing it to the form of a solution. Several distinct processes are necessary and they occur in such an order that those preceding are preparatory to those that follow. These processes are known as mastication, insulivation, deglutition, stomach digestion, and intestinal digestion. As the different materials become liquefied they are transferred to the blood, 
and substances not reduced to the liquid state are passed on through the canal as waste. The first two of the digestive processes occur in the mouth. This is an oval-shaped cavity situated at the very beginning of the canal. It is surrounded by the lips in front, by the cheeks on the sides, by the hard palate above and the soft palate behind, and by the tissues of the lower jaw below. The mucous membrane lining the mouth island soft and smooth, being covered with flat epithelial cells. The external opening of the mouth is guarded by the lips, and the soft palate forms a movable partition between the mouth and the pharynx. In a condition of repose the mouth space is practically filled by the teeth and the tongue, but the cavity may be enlarged and room provided for food by depressing the lower jaw. The mouth by its construction is well adapted to carrying on the processes of mastication and insulivation. By the first process the solid food is reduced, by the cutting and grinding action of the teeth, to a finely divided condition. By the second, the saliva becomes mixed with the food and is made to act upon it. Figure 65 Figure 65 The teeth. A section of a single molar. 1. Pulp. 2. Dentine. 3. Enamel. 4. Crown. 5. Neck. 6. Root. B. Teeth in position in lower jaw. 1. Incisors. 2. Canine. 3. Discuspids. 4. Molars. See upper and lower teeth on one side. 1. Incisors. 2. Canines. 3. Discuspids. 4. Molars. 5. Wisdom. D. Upper and lower incisor. To show gliding contact. Accessory organs of the mouth. The work of mastication and insulivation is accomplished through organs situated in and around the mouth cavity. These comprise, 1. The teeth. The teeth are set in the upper and lower jaws, one row directly over the other, with their hardened surfaces facing. In reducing the food, the teeth of the lower jaw move against those of the upper while the food is held by the tongue and cheeks between the grinding surfaces. The front teeth are thin and chisel-shaped. They do not meet so squarely as do the back ones, but their edges glide over each other, like the blades of scissors a condition that adapts them to cutting off and separating the food. Figure 65. The back teeth are broad and irregular, having surfaces that are adapted to crushing and grinding. Each tooth is composed mainly of a bone-like substance, called dentine, which surrounds a central space containing blood vessels and nerves, known as the pulp cavity. It is set in a depression in the jaw where it is held firmly in place by a bony substance, known as cement. The part of the tooth exposed above the gum is the crown, the part surrounded by the gum is the neck, and the part which penetrates into the jaw is the root. Figure 65. A hard, protective material, called enamel, covers the exposed surface of the tooth. The teeth which first appear are known as the temporary, or milk teeth and are 20 in number, 10 in each jaw. They usually begin to appear about the 6th month, and they disappear from the mouth at intervals from the 6th to the 13th year. As they leave, teeth of the second, or permanent, set take their place. The set has 32 teeth of 4 different kinds arranged in the two jaws as follows, in front, above and below, are 4 chisel-shaped teeth, known as the incisors. Next to these on either side is a tooth longer and thicker than the incisors called the canine. Back of these are two short, rounded and double blunt teeth, the bicuspids, and back of the bicuspids are three heavy teeth with irregular grinding surfaces, called the molars and, figure 65, since the molar farthest back in each jaw is usually not cut until maturity, it is called a wisdom tooth. The molars are known as the supranted permanent teeth because they do not take the place of milk teeth, but form farther back as the jaw grows in length. 
Figure 66 Figure 66 Diagram showing directions of muscular fibers in tongue. 2. The tongue. The tongue is a muscular organ whose fibers extend through it in several directions. Figure 66. Its structure adapts it to a variety of movements. During mastication the tongue transfers the food from one part of the mouth to another, and, with the aid of the cheeks, holds the food between the rows of teeth. By an outward pressure from the tongue and an inward pressure from the cheek the food is kept between the grinding surfaces. The tongue has functions in addition to these and is a most full organ. 3. The muscles of mastication. These are attached to the lower jaw and bring about its different movements. The masseter muscles, which are the heavy muscles in the cheeks, and the temporal muscles, located in the region of the temples, raise the lower jaw and supply the force for grinding the food. Small muscles situated below the chin depress the jaw and open the mouth. Figure 67 Figure 67 Salivary glands and the ducts connecting them with the mouth. 4. The salivary glands. These glands are situated in the tissues surrounding the mouth, and communicate with it by means of ducts. Figure 67. They secrete the saliva. The salivary glands are six in number and are arranged in three pairs. The largest, called the parotid glands, lie, one on either side in front of and below the ears. A duct from each gland passes forward along the cheek until it opens in the interior of the mouth, opposite the second molar tooth in the upper jaw. Next in size to the parotids are the submaxillary glands. These are located, one on either side, just below and in front of the triangular bend in the lower jaw. The smallest of the salivary glands are the sublingual. They are situated in the floor of the mouth, on either side, at the front and base of the tongue. Ducts from the submaxillary and sublingual glands open into the mouth below the tip of the tongue. The saliva and its uses. The saliva is a transparent and somewhat slimy liquid which is slightly alkaline. It consists chiefly of water about 99%. But in this are dissolved certain salts and an active chemical agent, or enzyme, called tiolin, which acts on the starch. The tiolin changes starch into a form of sugar maltose, while the water in the saliva dissolves the soluble portions of the food. In addition to this the saliva moistens and lubricates the food which it does not dissolve, and prepares it in this way for its passage to the stomach. The last is considered the most important use of the saliva, and dry substances, such as crackers, which require a considerable amount of this liquid, cannot be eaten rapidly without choking. Slow mastication favors the secretion and action of the saliva. Deglutition, deglutition, or swallowing is the process by which food is transferred from the mouth to the stomach. Though this is not, strictly speaking, a digestive process, it island nevertheless, necessary for the further digestion of the food, mast.